Sharon Lamb and I'm Madeline Broach and this is sex and ethics right so Mm -hmm. um, good to be back for our I think it's our 17th episode possibly 18 I'm I'm sorry to have to start with a retraction or a potential retraction but um, it seems necessary. Uh, our episode eight was, uh, entitled hashtag believe Tara Reed. It was episode eight. That was so long ago. Um, but in that episode, we talked about Tara Reed's allegations of, um, Joe Biden's sexual assault of her and the evidence for it and just dis- discussed why people were um, hypocritical to believe Christine Blasey Ford and not Tara Reed. But now, I think it was May 31st this year, it's come out that Tara Reed is, uh, leaving the United States to live in Russia, has been, uh, uh, frequent guest of Tucker Carlson on Fox News, has, um, is being uh-huh. accompanied back to Russia with a Russian spy. And I'm just in a different place than I was back then in terms of believing Tara Reed. How about you? What do you think? I think because this podcast is about ethics, it's only appropriate to address the situation now that we have more information. At the time, there was so much that we didn't know or understand about how Russia was involved in manipulating our larger electoral system, but also the larger public about the issues that were at play at the time. And I think this new information is so significant that it makes sense to have some questions or doubts about Tara Reid's claims of sexual violence. Yeah, I have deep doubts now after finding out so much about what um uh, robotics can do on artificial intelligence and how Russia interfered with our election and having recently seen the movie called Reality about reality winner was the person who stole the document from the TSA in order to um give to the intercept left I think they call it radical left uh news organization the evidence that Russia was interfering with the election. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems very plausible to me that Tara Reid was part of that interference, but who knows? Yeah, I think that's the challenging thing with believing claims of sexual violence is that like you aren't there. And so you're making the best guess based on the information you have available. And we have more information now. Well, I like that perspective. It makes me feel a bit better. We'll decide what we put up on the website for our faithful listeners about that episode. But we'll yeah. decide that a bit later. I've been thinking about AI too because I recently listened to um Wendy Zuckerman's podcast, Science Versus AI. Is it out of control? And there was a lot about sex and AI producing uh pictures of penises and pictures of fake people to date on the internet. And there was so much laughing on it that I got very irritated. And I, and I reflected back at 
our own podcast about sex and our own title where we go sex and ethics as if sex mm. is so much fun and ethics is always serious. And I think maybe we laugh too much. So let's take the topic of faking orgasms very seriously today, if you don't mind. Yeah. It's tempting to laugh. I mean, <laughs> but pleasure is serious business. It's a human right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's a human right. And we're, we're, um, we are going to, um, be serious about faking orgasms and the research that's done about it and hopefully um, not uh, shame anyone for faking an orgasm, but uh, shed light on why women and men sometimes fake orgasms and how we might be able to help people have um, better, I mean, have real orgasms, real sexual pleasure. And that's nothing to yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think, like, first of all, I guess I wanted to say, like, uh, to normalize that, like, this is something that people do is I myself have faked an orgasm before. I know that's very shocking as a feminist. (laughs) Thank you for that confession. I haven't. So I did have a little bit of, of, uh, I had a little bit of difficulty understanding why somebody would until um, I read some of the research. I mean, I understood it, but I didn't understand why 30 to 60% of women have faked orgasms. That seems like an awful lot, right? So I'm not speaking from experience, but, um, and I, I guess maybe people who don't fake orgasms aren't not faking, not speaking for myself, of course, but it might not be mm. that they have orgasms regularly. It might be that they don't have faith in their own acting abilities. <laughs> and so would rather <laughs> just say, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there I go laughing again. Let's get down to business. Unfortunately. I wish that there was more research on folks who chose not to, but I think because there are so many women who in cisgender heterosexual relationships do fake it, that's been more of the focus of the research. Yeah, I've also heard and 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 read research that younger women today are are really well-versed in how to perform having an orgasm. Whereas when I was, you know, younger, we didn't have porn as accessible, not, I mean, video porn wasn't as accessible. I had to go to a movie Mm. theater, right, to see it. And you didn't see like a million different varieties of, oh, 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 you know, and all that um, screaming and performing that goes on in porn. And as I've heard it, it, from some people, it's fun to imitate the porn stars, but it's also um, gives you uh, modeling examples of how to fake an orgasm. Exactly. And I think, you know, our general intent here is not to blame women for making the choice to uh, fake an orgasm, more to get curious about what motivates them, what makes them feel like that's the best option for them at the time because that's what we do as ethicists we evaluate what has guided you towards the choices that you make and the ultimate like rightness or wrongness of those choices but i do want to get down to whether or not there is something unethical about being inauthentic in sex that goes to all sorts of things from 
people in the, you know, 19th century who said uh, they would marry a woman if she had sex with them. And then when they didn't marry her, the woman could take them to court. I don't know if it was 19th century. I don't know when it was, but the woman could take them to court. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I know this? Because Russell Gilbert and Sullivan operetta called trial by jury about um, <laughs> withdrawing his um, his uh, promise to marry a woman. So, <laughs> wow! And I, I think it's been in the movies about too. that. So there's there's a inauthenticity in uh, courting and in sex all over the place, and it's important mm-hmm. for us as ethicists to analyze. Um, the wrongness of that inauthenticity um, and uh, differentiate um, small um, moral issues to the larger ones or connecting the small ones to larger ones and seeing mm-hmm. if they fit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Good. And, okay. you know, I talked about this when uh, I did domestic violence perpetrator groups is that there's some level of small white lies, for lack of a better term in this moment, that we do when we are courting each other, right? You don't go up to a potential future partner and be like, here's my deepest, darkest secret, right? That would be yeah. a lot <laughs> to build a new relationship on. And what is your obligation to? to be honest, when you are having this level of intimacy with another person? Oh, yeah. You know, sometime we'll have to talk about what is uh, is what is the level of intimacy of sex today? I consider sex a high level of intimacy. I'm not so sure everyone does. Just want to talk mm-hmm. about that. That's for another episode. So who yeah, maybe we can have a member of Gen Z or Gen A on for that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exploring casual sex. Just how casual is it? Okay, that's for another time. But now, who is faking orgasm besides Madeline? (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm teasing you. And I wanted to be There's nothing to be sorry for. (laughs) I'm just teasing. I think you and I know that there are... There's a difference between individual decisions and general trends that we see in the research. So we're kind of painting a broad brush with how we think about who tends to fake orgasms. Um, A lot of this research is focused on cisgender heterosexual people, particularly women, although we did see some research that focuses on men and queer folks' experiences. Um, But in general, the research that we found said that women who are less feminist, women who have a higher adherence to rigid gender roles, uh, and women who have trouble having orgasms through masturbation itself are the folks who tend to fake orgasms more often. What do you make of that, Sharon? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about that. Women who are less feminist makes sense to me. Because they might feel entitled, more entitled to their orgasm or less wanting to, Mm. feeling less obligated to please their partners. Though, speaking as a, you know, decades long feminist, I I don't think I've escaped from wanting to please my partners. I mean, that's a huge obligation that's, you know, driven into says women. And I don't think it's just Mm because I'm kind and a 
loving person. I think there is that sort of feeling of obligation when you're a woman too to care and to please. But I get it. Yeah. Who are less feminist might have more of that, more of that idea of I need to to be a good woman. You need to please your partner. I agree. I think that's absolutely part of it. I also am curious now, this is not based on the research, but how much that is just a relational dynamic that's inherent to sex, right? Regardless of who you're having sex with, you do want to have them to have a nice time just as much as you want to have a nice time. Uh, And that maybe some of these societal pressures encourage women to maybe care more about that. I saw your face when I said that. I'm curious as to what you're thinking. I mean, don't you think there's an awful lot of selfish sex going on today instead of relational sex? I mean, do people really go into it thinking, I'm doing this so that we both will have a really good time, and I want to ensure that the other person has a good time? From the focus groups I've been doing with my doc student, uh, Sarah Swanson, Mm. it sounds like people go into sex feeling like you take care of yourself and you make sure you have your own orgasm. And if I'm not doing something right, it's up to you to tell me, but not so much like I, I really, I'm, I mean, we're talking to young people, we're talking to students, we're not talking about people who've been in relationships for 10 to 20 years, but still uh, there was definitely that uh, sense of um, taking care of oneself and making sure you yourself mm. had that orgasm if um you were or that you were having pleasure and that you were doing what's right i think that's consent culture anyway where we've talked about that before that mm-hmm. um, that um once consent is given people are you know interested in people having a good time but oh i'm i've been avoiding saying something but maybe i should just say it it's yes, been my please. experience that that men are interested in women's pleasure because it makes them feel good and competent and and like they're good at what they do, like they're that they've given a good performance instead of um, uh, uh, after a feeling of mutuality and uh, perhaps closeness because of that. Is that so? Wrong? I'm so glad that you said that. I'm so glad that. You said that there's actually one of the studies that I read for this episode talked about men feeling more masculine and having greater sexual self-esteem when they imagine that a woman orgasmed during their sexual encounters with them. So it's kind of like a goalpost or a badge rather than something that is to be mutually created. It feels like almost like a game, if that makes sense. Um, And what's interesting in the study by Chadwick and Van Anders is that that relationship was even stronger for men who are really rigid in adhering to their gender roles. Wait, so what relationship was stronger for the more macho men, to use an old fashioned term? Um, Feeling more masculine and having higher sexual self-esteem when they imagine that a woman orgasmed during sexual encounters. And what did they do? They asked them, take a minute and imagine a woman orgasming. And what did the control group imagine? You know, bears uh, on the (laughs) glacier. uh, So the researchers use a vignette. And the thing that they experimentally manipulated was whether or not the woman in the imagined sexual encounter had an orgasm or not. 
And so the two groups were compared and the guys who were in the vignette condition who had a partner that had an orgasm were more likely to have higher sexual self-esteem and feel more masculine. Hmm. Oh, okay. And, and that's kind of funny because it's just reading a little story mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're feeling more self-esteem, imagining themselves and having done that. <laughs> well, that says something about ego and psych experiments too, I guess, how powerful just reading something can be. But anyway, so that, that leads us to why women are, um, are, uh, faking it for their men. And one of the major reasons, right? I don't think I have statistics here about which is the primary reason, but one of them is to make their partner feel good, feel like a man, feel important Mm. because, um, you know, of course, uh, they, uh, men would feel or they imagine men would feel bad and have less sexual self-esteem if they don't perform in such a way as to give a woman an orgasm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a reason that just breaks my heart. It's okay to want somebody else to feel good and make them feel good. I guess, though, that the... um um. And I'm thinking of this one study about the women who do not um, engage in fake orgasm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they undertake a lot of um, uh, direct redirecting blame as a kind of way to cushion the blow on the man, so to speak, to just mm-hmm. say afterwards, it's not you, it's me, or it's not you, it's the context, or I'm just feeling bloated tonight, or I'm just, um, you know, distracted by some argument I had earlier today. But there has to be an explanation that isn't, you didn't quite do it right, or you didn't, there was something wrong, or you weren't invested enough, or I didn't feel you cared enough, or you don't know where my clitoris is, do you? There is not that kind of thing. And speaking of the clitoris, right? What, you know, the coital imperative is very influential about whether or not people fake orgasms because there's a sexual script, right? Yeah. Um, Penis to vagina, intercourse, orgasm, the end. Right. Well, I want to add something. Male orgasm. Male orgasm. Male orgasm. It's over. Yeah. Then it's over with the question, did you come? Mm-hmm. Did you come too? Maybe the people don't ask that anymore. Maybe they just say, um, maybe because women are doing such great faking performances, men don't have to ask, did you come too? Huh. Sort of confronting my own assumptions based on the way sex was in the past. Anyway, so that's the the thing that's making you, Madeline, sad is that people are faking orgasms to make guys feel good and helping them with their self-esteem by telling them that it wasn't them, it was something else. Though, of course, in that study, some of the women actually decided not to fake orgasm anymore because they wanted to 
invest in uh, good sex for the future and then and believed in a kind of a equality in the relationship so that they felt there was a kind of a an ethical obligation to tell somebody what they might not be doing right and how to do it better next time or how to help Mm-hmm. Um, and have a better uh, sexual and mutual time, which sounds great for the future, but awkward in the moment if you're not in a relationship. I don't know that I, I don't remember yeah. reading any woman who said, it's my duty to educate men about what might work better. And so even in casual sex, I will stop and say, I will not have a fake organ, but I will stop and say, this is what you need to do better. And I'm going to teach you. It just doesn't sound yes. like it fits gender roles very well, does it? No, it does not. Okay, so what are some of the other reasons why women fake orgasms? One of the interesting ones is allegedly to heighten their own sexual arousal, which really didn't make sense to me. It feels like, you know, almost like an anxiety management strategy of like, I'm going to fake it till I make it kind of a thing. Um, which is kind of confusing for me. Did you understand that? Well, I can imagine that women who don't have orgasms are actually enjoying sex too. And so maybe part Mm. of the enjoyment of sex is pretending to enjoy sex even more than they're enjoying it. (laughs) Ah, you know, I could see that. Yeah. I, I think that's probably it, that that um, as long as the orgasm doesn't end everything, the fake orgasm, but, it you know, they're faking having multiple orgasms or whatever, and that that makes their partner very happy. And so that increases their pleasure. Mm-hmm. I can see why that might uh, work for some. Or maybe, you know, I hate to say this, too, but maybe it's that when you're imitating a porn star, you feel sexier. And so it's heightening your sexual arousal to fake the way um, a porn star has an orgasm. Why do I say star? (laughs) A porn (laughs) Porn performer, something like that. But what you said kind of touches on one of the other reasons that women fake orgasms, which is feeling less shame about not being able to orgasm themselves. One of the studies I read said that women were more likely to fake orgasms in partnered sex if they were not able to achieve an orgasm through masturbation themselves. Um, so what I don't get why that why that makes sense at all that they that that how does that fit with not feeling ashamed anymore? Uh, I think. If- that's how you started by saying they felt ashamed because they couldn't reach it through masturbation. And so they, well, they feel ashamed that they can't orgasm at all. And so they might as well perform an orgasm during partnered sex, which can reduce oh, oh, some oh, feelings oh, of shame. Um, sorry for my orgasmic response. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I get it now. I get it. It's because, it's because they don't want to say, I don't, I can't, right? Yes, I wasn't exactly. getting it before. They, they don't want to say to their partner, I, I, I've never had an orgasm. I don't know how, or I can't, I actually can't, or it takes me forever. So, you know, they don't want to do that. And they feel ashamed mm-hmm. because they feel it's their problem and that they're unlike other women. And that's a big 
you know, issue too. I think this expectation that pleasure should come easily and that, you know, to be the fun girl, you should be wild and sexy and very into everything and understand um, uh, uh, what to do and how to do it and how to mm-hmm. have pleasure. Um, it's too much um, of a responsibility um, when you're just kind of working things out with somebody about what feels good and how you might um, intersect together, right? Yeah, especially given, you know, the diversity of what's required for somebody to feel sexual pleasure, you know, vaginas are different. Some people like clitoral stimulation, some people don't, some people like, uh, there's a great diversity in what makes someone feel good. And so figuring that out with a new partner or expressing those needs to a partner can be really complicated. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard Let to me see if there's anything. I think there's one reason we haven't yet talked about, which is a really complicated reason, which is some women fake orgasms to just straight up end sex. Oh, yeah. They're bored. They're tired. They're in pain. They're intoxicated. Lots of reasons to to end it. But also, uh, I remember there was one article that was about unwanted sex. Women fake orgasms to get out of unwanted sex. Unwanted sex. Uh, unwanted sex that they're not able to explicitly label as unwanted. Yeah. And from our research and others about unwanted sex, that can be anything from originally wanted and then unwanted to people that's a change of mind kind of thing to people who felt obligated to have sex and went ahead with it or people who were afraid to say no or people who were coerced into sex too but aren't envisioning it at that point as a rape to people who are raped mm-hmm. and I think what's really interesting for me while I was reading the article by Chadwick and Van Anders is I'm wondering how much women might fake orgasms to prevent further levels of violence from occurring inside of a sexual uh, interaction. So I don't want to have sex anymore. This is feeling coercive for me, but I trust that you won't react violently when I say I'm done because Um, Some research indicates that when folks say, like, I don't want to have sex anymore, perpetrators can actually escalate their levels of coercion and violence towards women that they're having sex with. Whoa, I didn't I didn't realize that. And thank you for whoever did that research. And now I'm glad that we're not laughing our way through this whole topic today because it just Mm -hmm. got really serious. And I say really serious because in my mind, I'm connecting all of these things that the the more um, simple explanations of women just wanting to please men and being afraid to make a man not feel manly or not have sexual esteem to men's entitlement to be angry and violent if they're denied their partner's orgasm, really. And exactly. to me, you know, I, I always like to think of women as a class and, and of solidarity between women. And so I want to take us to the big question first and not the small question. The small question is, is it unethical for you as an individual to fake an orgasm? But the big question is, is it unethical for women as a class to be engaging in this practice 
that maybe perpetuates the status quo in male, female, cisgender, uh, heterosexual sex relationships. You know, not wanting to say there's a slippery slope, but there is a connection to the way we are in sex that I don't want to say enables quite, but, but, uh, condones maybe or support. Yeah. Part and parcel with, with the extreme forms of this. And so by women Mm -hmm. standing up and saying no, or demanding people uh, take seriously what it means to give a woman pleasure and uh, what a woman's body likes and what real women, as opposed to uh, foreign performers uh, might need for sex that what you're doing something isn't what you're doing is something not only for yourself but for women in general um yeah i feel it's a little far fetched but i'm saying this, i kind of feel it strongly i don't think so i don't think so because what's coming to mind for me is um aubrey gordon one of the folks who is uh the head of maintenance days was a community organizer before she began doing podcasting and she uses this metaphor that came to mind when you were speaking she talks about social change being like a wave Mm. but that um, it takes like millions of individual water droplets to make that wave happen to create this like larger cascade of change and so how might women's like resisting the temptation to fake an orgasm be an individual droplet that is the wave of like creating pleasure inside of every single sexual encounter for women. Well, I like that metaphor a lot. Also, because we've recently written a paper on wetness. (laughs) Yes. So the, the, the droplet metaphor is, is apt. So what about the individual then? I Mm. think I didn't, you know, again, not wanting to shame anyone. And when we're talking about ethics, we're not just talking about being true to yourself because we can talk about that. Like, yeah, be true to yourself and, you know, be who you are, be your authentic self. But to what extent do we have an obligation to be authentic to our sexual partners? And as you said earlier, um, sex is intimate. And I would say if sex is intimate, then, and if we have a belief that sex is intimate, then there does seem to me a betrayal of sorts to fake an orgasm. But if it isn't intimate, mm-hmm. oh, glad you agree. But if it isn't intimate, and if it is game of tennis or pickleball mm. <laughs> or pickle balls, <laughs> no, if, it's game, <laughs> if it's a game, then then uh, a game of seduction, then maybe it's uh, it's okay. And everyone understands that there's going to be, um, you call it, the uh, fakes and um, secrets and hmm. misdirections. And, and uh, so am I just saying it's okay in your first sexual encounter to be inauthentic, to fake? Or am I just saying that if it's, and that it's worse to do that with a long-term partner, maybe. But I think I'm saying that it depends on what sex is. Uh, that, that's what Card- I'm Carter, God, not Carter at all. <laughs> that's what Clinton said well, a long time I'm- ago. <laughs> it depends what is it. <laughs> what is sex? 
I think for me, so much goes back to the sexual script for what is expected in heterosexual sex. So if men are aware that women fake orgasms and have accepted that that is part and partial of a sexual encounter with women, they should be responsible for creating an environment where women do not feel that pressure and they should actively ask questions to try and create a sexual encounter where women can experience pleasure. So I guess I'm trying to say like, I don't know how much I want to focus on women faking it as much as I want to focus on the ethical obligation of men to create an environment where women don't have to. Oh, that's awesome. I really because of like fear of violence. Of I really like that point of view for sure. And of course, the work that men need to do so that their own sexual self-esteem isn't built on a woman's performance, but built on actually exactly. being good at something. Not being propped up to be good at something. Yeah. 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 And it's not even like having a good set of skills. It's more about like listening to your partner and what works for them. You're not expected to go in and be a cunnilingus master to every woman who has ever had a vagina, right? (laughs) It's more about, you know, being open and being receptive to the individual partner that you're having sex with. Right. No one expects that you're perfect at sex. Hmm? What was that again? No one expects. Everyone is perfect at all sex. We had one more point before we, um, which is 3C, which is, is there pressure to have pleasure to be sexual without having the education to be able to do so, except for porn? So let's take out this little place where we were talking Mm -hmm. and then introduce that by saying like one more thing or something. Do you want to introduce Okay. Okay, go ahead. Sure. I wanted to have us talk about one more thing, which is the question of, is there pressure to have pleasure and be sexual, actually having the appropriate sex education to be able to do that, except for porn, which we've talked about the wrong. That's such a great point, because the pressure to be sexual is at odds with how much education we're giving people about their own bodies, about what what to do in sex, how to please somebody else, um, how to understand their own bodies. Yeah, I mean, sex education for um, actual sex, for sexual pleasure is non-existent in many, many states. I can't imagine, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what uh, uh, the forces uh, in charge of some states would say if if you even said that sex education was necessary for people to have sexual pleasure instead of for preventing whatever pregnancy and uh, abortions and uh, mm-hmm. STIs. Yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, right. sexual pleasure is such a radical idea still. Yeah. But I, 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 it, it's reminded me that we haven't talked about men who fake. I mean, mm. sexual pleasure, so the important. assumption, yeah, the assumption is that men wouldn't fake and they wouldn't need to. But a good 25% of men have faked an orgasm uh, sometime or other. We know that it's for all the reasons why women fake it too, that they they want to please their partner and they want to um, uh, feel, they want to get out of sex that they didn't really want to have. Maybe not all the reasons, but those. But 
I mean, to me, it seems like uh, it's a there's a masculinity question here that uh, a man uh, is expected to have an orgasm. He's expected to always want sex, just like the pressure to be sensual and sexual for all women. A man who can't orgasm um, is probably feeling defective in some way when it's probably Uh quite natural given tiredness, work. Uh, age and a whole a, bunch of reasons yeah all those things that get in the way um so the the sadness is that um i mean let's put this out there for just all relationships not just casual sex i mean take out casual sex take out coercive sex talk about long-term relationships i don't think people talk about sex very much and i say that you know as a couples therapist, somebody who sees couples in therapy and individuals in therapy and have worked with people and, and uh, who have sexual issues in their relationship. And just from talking among my friends and things, it's damn hard to talk about sex with your partner, even after many yes. years. Would you agree? Yes. The person who's in a long-term partnered relationship, I think Bob and I have been together since 2011. So that makes 12 years now. It's something that you have to actively work at. And I think so much of our assumptions about sex in long-term relationships is that that's something you sort out at the beginning and it just kind of chugs along by itself rather than something that requires active work and communication and changes as your relationship grows and changes. Yeah. I mean, it's a very vulnerable thing to talk about. Yeah, you have to be very invested in really wanting to make it work. And after many years, sometimes you just go with the flow and you don't want to address problems. You don't want to have to talk about certain things, I guess. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's that's true. But uh, faking orgasms, maybe if you feel the need to fake an orgasm, you need to address the situation of what of mm-hmm. of why there can't be a bit more discussion about making sex more pleasurable or more important in your lives. You know, I'm. It, it sounds like I'm talking from experience in a way, but um, you know, that's neither here nor there. I I've been doing research with um, Jim Worthley, who interviewed twenty older men. And about uh, Hmm. sex and mutuality, what mutuality meant to them. And for some of them, it meant reciprocity, like I have my orgasm, you have yours. But for quite a few of them, they were looking for something a bit more transcendent, intimate, um, something that brought them closer to their sexual partners. And I think that... um, I'd like to say that there's something in humanity that that wants that out of sex, and um, and it was heartening to read about men wanting that too, and that there's something about not talking about sex, and of course the faking of orgasms that um, gets in the way of um, not just sexual pleasure but something um, about. It gets in the way of the intimacy and uh, you know more the transcendence that sex can bring to people's lives that uh, make them just feel really good in a holistic way. 
<laughs> yeah, you brought such a smile to my face even hearing about that. I mean, I think the most ethical liberatory sex is one that is not solely focused on achieving orgasm and one that involves uh, connection in some shape or form. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think that we so, were successful in today's episode at not like de- devolving into a bunch of giggles and dirty jokes, though. There were a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to end our podcast with a quote from one of the articles that we read, which I think kind of sums up many of our thoughts really beautifully. This is from La France. So I wanted to share a quote that summarizes many of the ideas that we talked about from one of the articles we read for this podcast. Uh, The author's uh, name is La France. We need to disrupt hegemonic constructions of sex that equate penile vaginal intercourse with quote unquote real sex, prioritize male pleasure, commodify women's pleasure as a marker of partner sexual prowess and situate orgasm as the pinnacle and goal of sex. Okay. We need to continue to disrupt hegemonic constructions of sex that equate penile vaginal intercourse with quote unquote real sex that prioritize male pleasure that commodify women's pleasure as a marker of partner's sexual prowess and situate orgasm as the pinnacle and goal of sex. Yeah. Get back to the beginning of that sentence. We need to disrupt that. And and I hope that we did in this episode. You think so? I think so. I appreciate your um, analysis at the end and, and want to end with that sort of looking at reminding everyone about that analysis where I feel like you kind of called me out and maybe being a little too focused on why are women faking and not on why aren't men creating sexual situations where women don't feel they have to fake. And, and, and that's what I wanted to end on because I just really appreciate that um, way of thinking about it. And, uh, and as a, um, a correction and uh, also a broadening of the imagination of what can be in the future. And that's what I appreciate about you. You always bring that to our discussion. So thank you, Madeline. Oh, thanks, Sharon. It was so, I know this is such a, a weird way of saying it. It was so fun to research this topic and understand a little, little bit more and develop compassion for women who do fake orgasms. Yes, I think you've brought that to our episode. And um, if we've been a little bit low key today, um, we'll try to find an episode that will have us giggling and laughing for the next one, just for a little diversity. Okay, sounds good. Okay, well, uh, uh, thank you so much. And thank you to Dan, our editor, um, who will edit out all the ums and ahs for us. And we um, appreciate Dan Torres. And is there anyone else we need to thank today? All of our wonderful um, scholarly colleagues who did the research will put um, links to their work in uh, um, in the podcast episode description. 
And uh, thank you for listening. Be good. Dream.